0: My name is Sean, I'm one of the pastors here, and I am excited that you are here this morning. I got some stories to share with you, but I want to ask you a question first. And the question is, have you ever in your life made a bucket list? You guys know what a bucket list is? It's, it's a list of things that you want to experience, that you want to accomplish before you kick the bucket. And so maybe you came to church and you're like, I want something inspiring and uplifting, and we're talking about death and, you know, talking about kicking the bucket. But, you know, it's out there. It's waiting for 100% of us. And so if you were to make a bucket list, what would, what would be on it? In 2007, a movie came out called The Bucket List, and there's a couple old guys, and they're terminal, and they get together, and they go on this road trip. And one of the things on their bucket list was skydiving. Watch this. Can. No, I can't really. It's not the jump you're afraid of. The hell is not you're just afraid your chute won't open and you'll show up at your own funeral as a dead omelet. No, I'm pretty much just and the chute won't open. No, no, man's got some lungs. Huh? Let's hit the seal. so what's on your bucket list or what would be on your bucket list is there anything that you really hope someday you can experience is there someone that you want to meet is there some place that you want to go to before the end you know a bucket list is built on a premise I believe it's built on this premise that when we get to the end of our life and we look back, there ought to be something more than just, eh, is that right? You know, there ought to be something more than that. and It's almost like we know that intuitively, innately, that we, we know that we were made for something more, something deeper. In fact, we don't want to get to the end of our life and look back on our relationships and have tons and tons of regrets. Well, i will have some because we're not perfect people, but we don't want to get to the end and say, man, what, what could I have said differently? What could I have done differently? What's on your bucket list? The reality is, is that we, we often do have regrets in life because we are broken people. And one of the honest things that we have to acknowledge, especially those of us that are followers of Jesus, is we have to acknowledge this idea of the brokenness in our world. But at the same time, there is this amazing thing that God wants to do in us and through us, and that is He wants us to be the hope. And so Josh was talking about that earlier, the idea of finding the pain and being the hope. Jack Nicholson's character at the end of the movie, he figures something out. He figures out that life is not about all the amazing things that we can accomplish or experience before we pass away. But instead, life is really about how we give ourselves away. And this is the antithetical, upside-down, counterintuitive way of Jesus that as we give our lives away and serve as Jesus served. That not only does it shape our lives into something that at Lakeside we've been calling the well-crafted life or the abundant life, something that Pastor Brad has been talking about for several weeks now. But at the very same time, there is this great sense of fulfillment. There is this great sense of purpose. There is this great sense of transformation that happens in our lives as well as the hope that we bring to others. And this is what I saw happening for the last two weeks when I was on the other side of the globe visiting some friends of ours in Africa. And so if you prayed for me, and I know many of you were just praying that I would get off the ground with the whole visa uh, thing that happened with the company, losing the visas and applications and all that. So I did, I got there and it was fantastic. And some of you followed on Facebook. And so I thought that I would just share some of the trip with you and report on some of our partners. My first stop was in Kenya. And most of you don't know Kara, but Kara is a really old friend of mine and she's a missionary there and Holly and I have been supporting her for a long time. And she started with a group that does education, does medical work, does church planning, and, and, and they built a school there. Lately, she's been working in the mountain region of Iburu, which is about 8,500 feet above sea level. And it's where some of the poorest of the poor in Kenya live. And she has lived among them and worked among them. And lately what she's been doing is coming alongside the kiddos in this village and the parents in this village and trying to help them navigate life together. What does it mean to parent well? What does it mean to help your kids? What does it mean to get your kids situated and point them in the right direction in their education and it was, a, it was an amazing time there. I got to meet a young man there named Kamal. And Kamal is in a wheelchair. He's a special needs kid. When he was born, he had to have a whole bunch of fluid drained from his brain. And there are some challenges that he has faced. But the biggest challenges that Kamal has faced most recently, and it would take me about an hour to tell you the whole story, but basically the challenges that he has faced are not from him, but from the adults in his life. He's had challenges at school, he's had challenges at home, and one of the things that Kara has done is come alongside and and help to untangle the the cobwebs of what was really going on there, and she was able to get him situated in a really good school with the right teachers, and she was able to get another gal from the village that is a good friend of hers and a Jesus follower to come alongside Kamal's mom and the other Four kids in her family and the brand new baby in her family, and kind of help create a stable home home life where he's receiving love, where he's receiving food every day, and the basic necessities of life. And this is part of the work that she's been up to. When I met Kamal, I, I knew right away why Carol was drawn to him. He's bright, he's witty, he's got a great sense of humor, and he's smart. He came in first in his class. He was ranked first in his class at the end of this last semester, and I was sitting and I was talking with him, and I said, what's your your best subject? And he said, oh, it's math by far. I, I like math. And I said, that was my worst subject, and so, you know, you're probably way smarter than me in that. And it was just amazing to sit with him. I spent a lot of time in Kenya speaking, and and, uh, I was was speaking at a pastor's conference. I've been asked for five years to go lead this pastor's conference, and I kept saying, no, no, it's not the right time, it's not the right time. And finally, I decided to pull the trigger. And so I spent a lot of my time with leaders, but it was these individual stories that captured my heart. When Kara went to live in Iburu, she didn't go as a white, middle-class, American, privileged person that was going to be the savior of the day. I've known Kara for 17 years, and that's not her M.O. She went there to live among the people in Iburu in that village, as one who serves as Jesus served, and to give herself away. And she's literally serving happily ever after. She's just being herself. My my older kids, they they love Kara because she used to babysit them when they were three and two. And and they have fond memories. I did a lot of ministry with her when I was at a church in in Colorado. And I can tell you that she's just being herself, using the gifts that God's given her, using the, the experiences and the abilities and the heart and the passion that God's given her. I don't have notes in the Bible app today, but I have some passages of Scripture that I want to share for you. And so I'm going to put one up on the screen. It's written by a man named Peter, who was one of the closest followers of Jesus, one of the early followers of Jesus and a leader in the early church. And when he was old, near the end of his life, he wrote a couple letters. And they're in the New Testament, kind of at the end of the Bible and he's writing to his friends and this is one of the things that he says he says each of you should use whatever gift you have you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms now there's a very important phrase right there that's amazing and it's faithful stewards of God's grace i mean do you do you catch that stewards of God's grace there is a calling There is a mission. There is a purpose. We get to be managers of this amazing grace of God. We get to take care of it. We get to pass it on. Do you feel the dignity in that? That God has a plan A, and his plan A is people. It's you. It's me. God wants to set the world right, but he wants to set the world right through setting people right. And so we get to steward this grace and bring it as hope to a world that is in pain. And that's exactly what Kara's doing over there. What would it look like for you to do that in your life right here, today, right now? I met a pastor and his family over there uh, doing these conferences. His name is Pastor Charles, and his wife is Beatrice. They have three beautiful young kids that were scared to death of me. But by the time we finished, they were crawling all over me. It was fantastic. And their friend Alan is there. Alan's a senior at the university training to go into ministry. And they live in Kasarani. Kasarani, Kenya is a, a small town that's exploding right now. And the reason is because everybody's moving to Kasarani to find work. And where they normally find work is in one of these flower farms that's around that area of Kenya. Really, they're, they're greenhouses. About 100 years ago, they figured out that when you cut a rose, it has a long life, one of the longest of all the flowers. And so they grow flowers in, they grow roses and other flowers in these greenhouses, and the conditions are, are brutal, they're terrible, they're hot. And, uh, and the pay is, is terrible. Now, the owners get really rich because they send the flowers to Western countries. And so there's this free trade I learned about, but it's not necessarily fair trade. But it's all that they can get right there in Kasarani, And so everybody's moving there. There are 2,000 kids in the local school in Kasarani, and 17 teachers. I met two of them because they're on Pastor Charles's leadership team. And they're engaging, and they're bright, and they're working hard. And there is this passion for the children of Kasarani that Charles and his team have. They have a feeding program, and they feed kids every single day. And it, is, it, it was a joy to be with them. And as I sat with his leadership team and we exchanged ideas, it was mutually beneficial. I think I learned at least as much, if not more, than I maybe handed out as I was, as I was there. They're being a light in a very dark place. They are a, a, a city on a hill that everybody sees, and it's beautiful. But we don't live in Kasarani, do we? We don't live in the mountains of iburu we, we live right here. And so to whom is God calling us? Who is God calling you to to serve as Jesus served and give yourself away? After I left Kenya, I flew down to Malawi, and I got to visit Mary Beth. Anybody know Mary Beth? She's one of our partners, all right? We are big fans of Mary Beth. She is 100 miles an hour All the time, very strategic. And so I got to spend about 48 hours with her and her ministry team. And man, it was a whirlwind, but it was beautiful. And so if you don't know anything about Mary Beth, she's been there for about 10 years. In fact, when she was leaving, I was coming to Lakeside. And so I've only seen her here kind of on her furlough times in the summer. So it was great to be on her turf. In fact, she was sitting right where many of you are sitting. She was a teacher here, and she went off on a short-term trip and her heart was broken, and now she is Malawian, really. I mean, that, those are her peeps, and she, she lives there, and, and, and it's fantastic. They have a couple of schools. There's, there's a school here and a school here, and there's a street that divides them. One of the schools is a for-profit school because they want to be self-sustaining in the ministry that they have there. They don't want to have to always be relying on some outside donation. And so they they have a school that they've developed. It's a private school that serves the middle and upper class of that area in Blantyre, Malawi. But right across the street, there's an NGO school where kids are sponsored. And kids from a township called Indorane, and that's a nice way to put it, township, it's a massive slum and so a lot of the kids from there and a lot of the people from her team grew up there and so they come to the NGO school and I got to sit in both of these environments and watch Mary Beth at work. I got to watch her team just go for it and it was fantastic. They have a diploma program where they bring in teachers, they train them over a couple years, they get a diploma and then they send them out. If they can't hire them, they send them out to teach around Malawi and they are literally educating and right raising up a generation. It is a beautiful thing to watch. As a part of the NGO, they also have an outreach to injerane, and so I walked six miles around this slum. I asked them, how how much do you normally walk around this place every single day? And they said, oh, much further than this, Pastor Sean, but we, we have to get you back, you know. And it, it, I think they walk about twice the amount or sometimes even three times the amount. They're just going and going and going. And they go out, and I, I, I got to visit a couple schools that they have out in the slum there for kids that are even less fortunate. And then they have a ministry as well to special needs families. They've actually been trained on how to do physical therapy. In fact, years ago, Lakeside sent a team to do some training for them. And it's in a culture where when you have a child with special needs, oftentimes that child will be kept hidden away inside out of embarrassment or shame. And they're coming alongside these families, and I got to visit two of them. And they're not only ministering to the body and doing physical therapy and watching these kids start to move in ways that they never dreamed of, but they're also ministering to the heart and to the parents, teaching the parents how to come alongside and love their kiddos with the love of Jesus. They have classes where they bring these parents in absolutely free and they they train the parents and they'll go out and they'll spend an hour with each of these families I'll never forget the look of Theresa's face, this precious little girl, when Betty and Maria came up to the house, and she knew that her friends were there to be with her. Betty and Maria have children of their own with special needs, and God has broken their heart to go out into these slums and love on these families. There's so much going on in the ministry there. I got to meet with the finance team and and, and the business team and and the board that that Mary Beth has has formed there. And they're, they're, they're trying to dream up new ways to generate revenue and to start business classes and computer classes and all sorts of things. And every single person that I met with, I asked them a couple questions. I said, what do you think of Mary Beth? And what do you think of being a part of this ministry? And Mary Beth would take me and drop me off, and then she would go do something else. Because again, she's just moving 100 miles an hour. And then I would, she would come back, get me, and drop me off with the next group of leaders, and then drop me off with the next group of leaders. And so I asked those questions, and they all said the same two things. The first thing they said was, Mary Beth loves us, and she is here to serve. And they're just so thankful for her. And the other thing they said is Mary Beth keeps working herself out of a job. Every position that she has, she works, she leaves, she goes and does something else, and somebody is able to move up in their development, in their career. And then somebody is able to move up and take their place. And this just keeps happening again and again and again. And she is doing a fantastic job of developing leaders. And the ministry is growing I am super proud that we are partnering with Mary Beth. But I want you to pray for her because some of you know that a few years ago uh, on a weekend we gave a lump sum, a very large lump sum of money so that the NGO school could buy land because they're renting land and they're growing and there's no space and they want to be able to provide. The private school is already on a plot of land that they own but there's a caveat and the caveat is, is these two schools need to be close together. It's difficult in their environment, in their culture, to oversee both unless they're close together. So I was able to walk around the neighborhoods where their private school is and look at plots of land that they've been praying over. But so far, nobody wants to sell. And so I told Mary Beth, well, Lakeside Church, we're all going to just pray for this, that, that God would provide a plot of land, and I want you to pray for that. I want you to pray that it would benefit the seller because we don't want to just come in and, and, and hurt somebody's livelihood, but we want it to benefit the seller. But there are some plots of land around there that would be perfect. And so would you pray for that? That would be fantastic. Mary Beth told me about a little girl named Gracie. Uh, Social services referred Gracie to the NGO. Gracie's mom came to a class on how to start a business, but quickly they realized that she has some developmental delays where she will never own a business. In fact, she can't even hold down a job, and they're able to help her with some of the basic necessities of life but they were able to take Gracie and put her into the school. A few months after being there, they realized that nobody knew when Gracie's birthday was. Gracie didn't know when her birthday was. Her mom didn't know when her birthday was. But all the kids had their birthdays up on the wall. And so they grabbed Gracie and they said, hey, when do you want your birthday to be? She got to choose her own birthday. So she looked on the wall and it was October. So she said, October, All right. But then she was very strategic. She chose the next week, and she chose October 28th. So that very next week, they celebrated Gracie's fifth birthday, the first birthday party that she's ever had. And I think that is amazing. She also told me about Anisha. Anisha grew up in a very difficult situation. Lots of violence. Her mom tried to sell her three times. Lots of alcoholism lots of abuse. She disappeared for three days at one point in time. Nobody knows where she was, but she just turned up in front of a tailor shop in in Durrani. And she showed up at the school one time with her mom, and her mom was all out of sorts, not doing so well. And they weren't really sure what was going to happen because they needed to step in with social services, but social services was far away, and the guy was on his way, and they weren't sure what was going to happen. And so there's this couple that Mary Beth partners with. And the names are God Knows and Helen. That's literally his name, is God Knows. Because I asked, is that literally your name? Like you were born with that name, God Knows? That's pretty cool. And God Knows and Helen uh, couldn't have kids of their own. So they decided to start rescuing kids, many of them off the street. And now they have over 60 living in their home. And so Helen had told God Knows, we can't take any more kids. We cannot do this anymore. So what did he do? He brought Anisha home. said, hey, there's, there's room for one more. And now she's safe, and she's being fed, and she's being loved. And her classmates are also there as well, and she's thriving. Mary Beth told me that when Anisha showed up to the school, in Mary Beth's words, when things didn't go her way, she would beat the other kids. But now she's got a smile on her face, and she's happy. She's praying for her mom. She wants her mom to get help. Uh, She hasn't gotten help yet. You can pray for her mom. And these are the kinds of stories that just go on and on and on and on. But we don't live in Blantyre. And we don't live in Indorande. We live here. So, to whom is God calling us? Who is God calling you to, to serve as Jesus served and give yourself away? There's another passage of scripture that was written by another follower of Jesus. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. His name was Paul. Paul was a leader in the early church as well. And he says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God who is at work. There's this idea of unity but also diversity. Jesus was really clear in John 17. His very last prayer for the church is that we would be one, that there would be unity, and God unifies us. It's Jesus when it comes right down to it. He said, if there is unity, then the world will believe that I have come. One of the reasons that the world doesn't believe is because we struggle so desperately with achieving unity. But he says within this unity, there is incredible diversity. And so every single one of you has a unique shape. You have spiritual gifts. If you are following Jesus, he has given you his spirit. And his spirit has brought gifts for you to use and be the hope. He's given you a heart. He's given you passions. Things that just make you come alive. My friend Kara, being in a guru, makes her come alive. What is it for you that makes you come alive? He's given you talents, abilities that are sort of unique to you. They're not necessarily spiritual gifts, but you have a knack for something. You are good at something. He's given you a particular personality. I used way too many words when I was in Kenya teaching. I used way too many words for my introverted self. And, And he's given us all sort of a shape of a personality and who we are. And he's given you experiences as you look back on your life. You have experiences that you can pull forward and use to bring hope to others. And so we call that a shape. And we actually have a class, it's actually happening today. And I don't know if I'm allowed to do this, but I'm saying if you haven't signed up, just show up anyway. We will take you because we believe everybody needs to know their design. Everybody needs to know their shape. And sometimes it just doesn't happen right away. It's like you got to have some self-awareness and work through things. Sometimes you just got to try things and go, hey, is this ministry for me? Can I serve this way? Is it going to work for me? Is this going to make me come alive? And you start to try different things. And so come to the shape class and we'll take you on a journey of kind of having some self-awareness and asking the question, God, how how can you use me? After I left Malawi, I got to go to Mozambique. We have partners in Mozambique that you might know. Do you know Roger and Lynn Schmidt? They're amazing. They've been partners of ours for a really long time. They've lived in Mozambique for 14 years, so they are basically Mozambican now. It's, it's, It's fantastic. But for the last five years, they've lived on the island of Mozambique. Now, when they decided to move to this island, which is a very beautiful place, even the Mozambican people that knew them and cared about them said, what are you doing? Don't you know that the island is cursed and that the people that live on the island, the Makua people, Makua means those who fish, the Makua people are cursed. This is the belief. Back in the colonial days when the Portuguese came in, the island was the epicenter of the slave trade. So people were captured, brought to this island, actually just just a stone's throw away from where Roger and Lynn's house is. I I was in the building where the slave trade took place, where human beings made in the image of God were brought, were bought, sold, and and sent around, literally around the whole world. And so people wonder why would you go spend time with the people that are cursed? There is no established church for Jesus followers on the island. And in their dialogue, their dialogue or dialect, there is no uh, there is no scriptures. But I got to spend time sitting and talking and sharing scripture and sharing Jesus with some of the very first followers of Jesus on the island. And it was fantastic. I believe that there will be a church on the island but I believe it will come through the Makua people themselves as Roger and Lynn are there just to share, to disciple, to come alongside. I got to hear the story of one particular person that that works for Roger and Lynn. And uh, he sat to my right, Roger sat to my left, and Roger was interpreting, and I got to hear his Jesus story, what life was like before he met Jesus and what life has been like since... He says, he says, Roger, Papa Roger, they call him, term of endearment, a term of respect. Papa Roger showed me who the one true God is. And he says, now I can take care of my family. And he said something that Roger never coached him to say. It just came out. And this is why I believe the Makua people will be the ones to initiate and start the church and lead the church amongst their own people. He said, now I'm taking the news of the one true God to my community He's going to his oikos, as we say here all the time at Lakeside Church, those 8 to 15 people in your life, and he's sharing about the love and the grace of God. He is stewarding the grace of God and bringing hope to his world that is in pain. I got to be in a parade. It wasn't on my bucket list, but I got to be in a parade. It was Labor Day on the island, and this is a really big deal because to have a job is a huge deal huge deal. And so if you don't know anything about Roger and Lynn, they started a business called Rickshaw's. And Rickshaw's is, uh, it's a restaurant, it's a future B&B, and it's a beautiful setting. And they have taken a whole bunch of people that have never had jobs in their life, and they've taught them to run an amazing restaurant that's getting good reviews on TripAdvisor. In fact, the American ambassador to Malawi came and ate at their restaurant, gave it rave reviews. And the island is watching this, the government of the island, and the mayor is watching literally people being raised up. And the economy is being raised up because there are Jesus followers that are coming in and bringing hope in very practical ways. And so we got to be in this parade and one of them was elected uh, employee of the year. And, and we were driving through and the, everybody on the island was cheering. And there was a big ceremony and there was the national anthem. And it was, it was fantastic to watch the faces and the pride and the dignity of people being raised up out of their situation. It is a difficult place to live. They are the poorest of the poor. And Roger and Lynn are being a light in a very dark place. I got to meet with their missionary team, three other couples that are there. Two of the couples have three young kids each, and we got to sit around and talk about life on the mission field in a place that's unpredictable a place that's difficult to live, let alone raise kids. And we talked about team and team health and team cohesiveness and how in the world does your team stay healthy and and what are the problems we have back here and what are the problems you're having out there? and, And it was a very good, healthy, mutual exchange. It was a privilege to meet his team. I'm super proud that we are partnering with Roger and Lynn. But we don't live on the island of Mozambique. We live here. So I just wonder today, who is God calling us to? Who is God calling you to serve as Jesus served and to give yourself away and experience that counterintuitive, amazing fulfillment and joy that comes from living out your shape and being a steward, a good manager of God's grace? There's this thing that happens whenever I go on one of these trips. At some point, I stop and I look at the coexistence of these two things that are intertwined with one another. On the one hand, there is tremendous beauty. I went to some beautiful places. Iburu sits on a dormant volcano and the views are amazing. Malawi looks like Hawaii when you're flying into it. It's green and lush and there's mountains and it's gorgeous and it's... It's just a neat place to be. And the island is phenomenal. The sun sets, the sun rises. But all around, and right in the middle, intertwined all through that, is brokenness. There's poverty, there's desperation, and there's death all around. And as I was sitting, having my morning coffee on the morning before I was going to leave, kind of looking out at the water, It hit me that that's a metaphor for all of us. It's a metaphor for the human condition because right down the middle of all of us, there is beauty and there is brokenness. Every single person that you look at is made in the image of God. They are handcrafted. They are loved with an everlasting love. And when you look at their eyes, you need to remember that they are God's child. There is beauty in every single one of us. And at the same time, we need healing because we've gone wrong and we've chosen to gone wrong, to go wrong. And so there is a brokenness. But we have a God that comes to us and he sits among us. He doesn't wait. He doesn't stay far away because in matters of the heart, when it comes to love, you don't send someone else. You go yourself. And so Jesus comes to us, and he looks at us eye to eye, right in the midst of our brokenness, and he says, I love you right here, but I also love you too much to leave you here. I want to change your life. I want transformation to come. I want to heal you right where you're at and give you a mission to fulfill. And he goes to the cross, and he proves it, and he raises from the dead. And now he offers us life, the well-crafted life, Sometimes we call it the abundant life or being the best version of you that you can possibly imagine. He wants to shape you and help you to become more like Jesus. One of the reasons I went on this trip was because I just believe that if we're going to have partners, that we ought to be in a relationship with them, and that we ought to see some of it for ourselves, that we ought to connect sometimes, that we ought to have this relationship. And I I just believe that there is a proximity that's built into the human condition where sometimes we need to see it for ourselves. So we're going to be talking over the next three weeks. This is actually the last of a series on service, but it's also next week, or or this week is the beginning simultaneously of an emphasis on what it means to have partners both locally and globally. In a couple weeks, Brad's going to talk about how we can partner in a financial way. Some of us, we need that relationship that we have, that connection needs to be financial. Sometimes it needs to be emotional. We just need to help carry the emotional weight of some of our partners, whether they're serving here or abroad. We need to take them out when they're home, take them out to a nice dinner. We need to write them notes and be on social media with them. We need to let them know that the weight that they're carrying is the weight that we're carrying and we are there with them. Sometimes we need to be in relationships spiritually. We need to be praying for them, lifting them up. Roger told me a story of one of their employees that got into trouble, he got into big trouble because he tried to stab another employee in the kitchen, which is never a good idea for your career. And so they had to let him go, and he was really bent out of shape, and he went to the local witch doctor, and he said, I want you to curse Roger, and I want you to curse rickshaws. And he said, I can't do that because the God of rickshaws and the God of those people is greater than me, and I can't curse them. Your prayers are powerful. There is a radical evil that the scriptures talk about from beginning to end. So would you pray for our partners? And some of you, not not all of you, but some of you need to be connected physically. Physically. I mean, you need to go at some point and I'm not asking you to to go today or to make a decision today, but over this next year, we're going to kind of be navigating how do we partner wisely? How do we partner efficiently? When does it make sense to go and to take a team or to take one or two people over and to spend time investing in the ministry that our partners are doing into the people that are leading those ministries, the indigenous people that are leading those ministries? When does it make sense to do that? For me, when I was 20 years old, I found myself on a dirt basketball court in Manila, and it was the first time in my life that I realized that God, not, God didn't just love me, but man, He had a plan for me. He wanted to use me. He actually wanted to work through me. All of my junk and all, He still was redeeming my life. And he said, Sean, I want you to be a steward of my grace and be hope to the world. And I didn't stay on the mission field. I came home, but I had this sense about me that life was more than just about me. So what about you? Who can you serve like Jesus served and give yourself away to? Would you pray with me this morning? God, thanks for your amazing love for each one of us. God, we feel that today. We, we receive that today. We're thankful for that today. And Spirit, Holy Spirit, we invite you. We invite you into this place. We invite you into our hearts to do what only you can do to break our hearts, to open our hearts up, to shape our hearts. Some of us in this room maybe need to take a step towards you for the very first time in our lives. We've been waiting long enough, and it's time to cross that line of faith and say, I trust. I need you, Lord. I give you my life. For others of us, we need to make a U-turn, and we need to come back to you. We've been wandering. We've been, we, we've been in angst. We've been in pain. We've been frustrated. We've been angry. We've been broken, and we need to turn around and run back to you, our Father in heaven. You are a good, good Father with arms open wide, all the time. And some of us, Lord, we, we need to have our hearts broken afresh and anew. And we need you to show us not just our shape, but how can we serve? How can we give ourselves away and experience with what life was meant to be? And so would you guide, would you lead, Lord? And we trust you to do so in Jesus' name. Amen.